sorry, sorry for being a little late today. Um, you know how things are. Um, so we'll go ahead and start. Uh, first, I apologize that I was not here last week, and I had to give poor Hal. Um, uh, uh, he had to do some review for me, and I know the lesson did go well, but um, uh, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he got to do the review for me. I'll leave it at that. So, um, but I apologize. Uh, again, as always, a disclaimer here. I was, as I was going through this week or last week as well, I was trying to decide like how much uh, material and new concepts I should bring to this since we're today finally. Seth, I know you'll be delighted. We're getting into the hypostatic union. So. Um, yeah, I, I did not plan it this way. I prom- I w- if this had gone on in the summer, I would have thought the same thing. Um, but it happens to fall um, during the season. So, uh, But uh, the point is, is uh, I'm going to try to introduce limited new concepts today, not because I don't think you all can't handle it, but because I don't think that I can handle explaining it all. So uh, I don't want anybody to take that personally. Um, so it's more so me. Uh, than it is you, but uh, hopefully the limitation of new concepts and material will actually help us out. So what I'm trying to say is uh, when we talk about the hypostatic union, and I'll explain, of course, what that is in a little bit, but um, uh, I'll, uh, I'm just saying that this is basically part one of like three or four maybe, I don't know, um, because we can certainly capture it all in like two weeks, right? Um, but anyway, okay, so uh, if you will, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to John chapter 1. It's John chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through verses one through 18, the, in my opinion, prototypical verses for the incarnation or the hypostatic union um, uh, that uh, we should all be familiar with. But uh, John 1, 1 through 18, and afterwards we'll talk a little bit about it, and uh, first ask the Lord to bless our time, and then talk a little bit about it, so um, we'll go from there. So John 1, 1 through 14, this is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being, and Him was life. And the life was light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There came a man sent from, John, sent from God, whose name was John. He came for a witness, that he might bear witness of the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. 
For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Let, let's, let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless our time. Oh, Lord God, we are thankful again we can, we can gather on this Sabbath day. Lord, we are thankful that we can worship as a corporate body. Lord, help us to, insofar as we are able through your word, plumb the deep truths of the incarnation and the hypostatic union. Lord, help us to understand that these things are confessed by all the church because we know that you are truly God and truly man and that you must be. And Lord, we are thankful that we are thankful that this is so. Lord, that that the Son of God came in flesh as our mediator to save us. Lord, we are unworthy of that. We are worthy of every condemnation and every and every guilty act that we have done by birth and have performed actually here and now. Lord, I pray that our worship would be pleasing to you, that this lesson would be edifying, and Lord, that we would, we would go out edified by it into worship so that we can worship you rightly. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. Amen. Okay, so in th- this is John's prologue, and as I said, I, I love it because it's the prototypical verses, I think, for the incarnation. I know there are others, other wonderful verses, but... Um, kind of an extended introduction to his gospel, of course. But we see lots of things here, uh, of course. But one of the things that I think we need to pick up on, at least for the purposes, if nothing else, from this for this Sunday school and today, is that God the Trinity, if we look at the text, God the Trinity is ontologically or in being and logically prior to the incarnation, right? And that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so as we move through the text, as you see, as we move through the text, there's, again, lots of things there. But we see what we've been doing uh, the entire time. And it's important that we see this because if you remember how we started off this series, right? Remember how we started, apart from the basic uh, primer on analogical language, apart from that, we started off first by describing God, God's unity and then moving on to his triunity, right? Okay, so... We call this theology proper or the doctrine of God, okay? That's how the text kind of moves too. I contend that because of this, if we don't have some understanding of those things first, theology proper or doctrine of God, then we're going to have an even more difficult time, I think, understanding the incarnation or the hypostatic union uh, specifically. Um, Which, again... Going back to the text, if you see, we locate in the category of God's acts, right? God's acts in time and history, uh, otherwise known as the economy. So we see, in other words, that we move from very God of very God, in the beginning was the Word, to the Word became flesh to very man. Okay, And I think that's wonderful that the way, of course, uh, John being inspired here uh, does this. Um. As a caveat, before we move forward, uh, we do have to confess, and I have to confess with the rest of church history, I hope we all confess this, that this is a profound and great mystery beyond our comprehension. So let's go with that first, okay? Uh, So what we do here, and as we confess these things, we must go ahead and seek 
not to speak, I hope, um, Lord protect me in this, um, more than we ought to, okay? However, however, that does not mean, because I think that we're pressured by the text to actually do this, that does not mean we cannot speak of it at all. And, I mean, that's the objective of today's lesson, obviously, so we're going to do something. But that doesn't mean we can't speak of it at all. Um, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we can start defining some terms and begin applying those terms to the person of Christ, our incarnate Lord, okay? So what, this to, what today's lesson is about is, and I've kind of already hinted to it, is kind of, a, again, a primer on incarnational terminology and how that applies or is rightly applied to Jesus, our Lord, okay? So today's lesson will be more terminologically heavy. Again, I'm going to try to limit introducing new concepts, but that doesn't mean the concepts won't be uh, not difficult, to put it that way, um, for everybody. So, um, so follow, try, uh, please, as I've said before, I know I have to say, I'm, I say this every lesson because each one tries tried to build one on one top of the other. Um, follow me closely because I hope you'll see that in previous lessons I'm kind of building there. And I hope some of the pieces start coming together today on what we've said before as we've moved and moved into the person of Christ. And I'll be blunt about this. Uh, understanding this portion, I, I think I say this every lesson too. Um, but, you know, uh, understanding this portion or better understanding how we um, uh, use our terminology as applied to Christ uh, will affect the totality of our Christology. Okay, because that's going to be really the foundation of everything when we start talking about this. So as we've talked about before, like analogical language fills the background of everything. Um, when we come into the, the locus of Christology, so does having the correct, I think, uh, foundational terminology as applied to Christ. That makes sense to everybody? Okay. So first of all, okay, what is the hypostatic union? What is the hypostatic union? The mysterious joining of Christ's divine nature and human nature into one person. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so I think that's exactly what I have written down. Um, uh, The union or joining of Christ's humanity, and you said, I think, a key word there that we'll expand on later, um, two natures into one person, Okay. So it's important that we get that right. So that's the first thing off. Two natures, one person. So Christ's humanity and, and divinity joined. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, so now whatever we say today, and so again, more caveats, whatever we say today, though, about the person of Christ, we must say with previous things that we've said in mind, Okay. We have to keep, we, we really have to keep that straight. So specifically, specifically those things that we see in multiple chapters of our confession, okay? So I believe that our confession is consistent because I believe our confession is derived from the Bible. Therefore, I think it's consistent. So what we'll do, I'm just going to go through a few uh, uh, statements uh, that we, a lot of which we've talked about and some that we haven't, but... Here's what our confession says about what we have said previously. So in chapter 2, paragraph 1, 
It says this about God. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but, by any but himself, a most pure spirit, indivisible, without body, parts, or passions, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, and so on. Okay, so the very next chapter, uh, very next paragraph of that same chapter says this, just an excerpt. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature. That's important. Independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. Next paragraph of the same um, of the same chapter. In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, or if you prefer, persons: uh, the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. Okay. Chapter 5 on Providence, paragraph 1. God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, to the end for which they were created, according unto his infallible knowledge, and and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. And we could go on. But, in other words, we must be careful not to contradict ourselves as we're talking about the hypostatic union and the person of Christ so as to somehow alter his deity in any sense whatsoever. Period. Okay? So again, whatever we say... Assuming that we affirm the previous statements from our confession, we cannot contradict them as soon as we start talking about the Incarnation. Okay, And now a lot more of that will come out in later, uh, later Sunday schools, but we have to keep that in mind. So you see then, this, this is where my task becomes very difficult. Um, this is where the real minefield, I think, actually begins. Okay, So how to do that. Because as we're talking about the God-man Christ, we can easily, myself included, open ourselves to contradictions and error if we don't think carefully about this. So that's why the bulk of this lesson, the bulk of this lesson, um, I'm hoping that the majority of my time is spent on the board because I don't have to actually have much more, but I want to kind of draw some of this out. So... I know the teachers in the room are going to cringe a little bit, uh, so I was told last time, but bear with my uh, sloppy writing and all that. I think it'll be helpful still. I still think it'll be helpful. Um, so I thought it'd be useful, and again, this may, uh, I think this is going to consume the majority of our time, to first define what we mean when we say nature as it relates to person when we speak of Christ, Right? We have to get those things straight, I think, before we proceed. So we need to spend some time defining them. So what do we mean when we say nature as it relates to person when we speak of Christ? Remember again, when we speak of the hypostatic union, what are we saying? Two natures, 
Two natures, one person. Two natures, one person. I'll say that one more time. Two natures, one person. Okay, so just so that we got that. Um, so this is where I'm going to have to take my notes. So bear with me here. Is this going to be high enough? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so, so uh, we talk about nature, right? And, and I think, we, well, I won't go there yet. So, so if you remember from previous lessons, uh, we talked about nature being analogous or the same as, for at least our purposes, as what? Yeah, 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 whatness, yeah, yeah, whatness. So, so, that's good. That's good. We're, we're recalling things. That, that makes me happy. I'm sorry. I get excited. So, we could say essence, right? Is that fair? Okay. And so, you said whatness. I'll try to get out of the way, at least for half the class. Uh, which is also called, I used another term too. This is just expanding our vocabulary. Starts with a Q. <laughs> so, quiddity. Okay. So, nature, again, I'm oversimplifying here, but for our purposes, nature is the same as essence which talks about whatness. So what something is, is its nature. Okay, what something is, is its nature, which is another way of describing essence. Okay, all right? Easy enough. So I'm going to use the example of humans again, because I think that's probably the most near thing to us. Uh, I'm going to use the, uh, in humans, um, or created things, you could say, but for humans, the nature, the nature of such, of a human, is located or found concretely in what we would call, let's see if anybody can guess. Where, where, where would, when we're talking about the constitution of man, where would our natures be found? I know I'm making a distinction sort of without a difference, but... It, Are you talking about genius? Genius? No, no. I'm, I just mean the soul. Yeah, I just mean the soul. Okay, I'm sorry. That, that, was, that was a terrible question. Um, so so we, would found it, we would find it concretely there. Um, the soul is a particular individuation or instance of the human essence. Okay? Follow me so far? All right. However, now I, I want to be clear here. Um, uh, Plato would have held that the soul is like the whole man, like that's the real person. Um, that's where you get the dualism of a lot of Greek philosophy from. That's not what we're saying, okay? The whole man instead, or individual human being, is composed of body and soul, okay? Body and soul. In other words, though the soul can exist without the body, yet the body cannot exist without the soul, Okay? So the soul is logically prior to the body. Okay. And if it helps, uh, for me, this is, maybe I shouldn't go here, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, this is why I think some Latin helps. So, so the soul or is called 
anima in Latin, which animates, it's said to the soul animates the body. So that's helpful for me. Anyway, um, so the soul is said to animate the body. Again, it's not, it's not like a, you know, a hand and glove type of situation either. So Genesis 2-7, for example, says this. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth. Then what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Some translations say soul, but living being. So man's constitution is body and soul. Therefore, man is a material body substantially joined with a soul. Okay. I won't go beyond that. Um, it is the soul... That what it's the soul that is what makes the living man with his body. Okay. What he is, or as we said in the second lesson, is what makes man or humans the irreducible kind of thing that they are. Okay. All right. So, as a particular kind of being or individual instantiated with a particular nature, so, for man, we have this, right, which is composed of body plus soul, but soul being only this, this being matter. Does that make, is that confusing? Okay. I'm trying. I'm sorry. Um, so... Yeah, so um, I, w- I was going to bring that up. I, I just didn't want to go, I don't want to go too far, but that's what death is, separation of body from soul. So that's why we say and why we, I think, have to logically, not, I mean, because it is from Scripture, but logically from Scripture say that there's a physical resurrection because we're not whole until we have our bodies. Okay, so... But what makes you what you are, um, I should take away body there then. Uh, what makes you what you are is your nature, which is your soul, for lack of, for over, you know, oversimplification. So, when we speak, or when we say, or when someone asks, I guess you could put it this way, when someone asks, as my wife often asks me, why are you the way you are? <laughs> um, or why, why are <laughs> Um, I just, I can just say, (laughs) I just say, basically, that's my nature. Um, and so, yeah, yet you act according to that nature, right? As a person. So that's where we get into the differences here. Also, just a kind of a side note, so when we speak of like intellect, mind, will, things like that, what we're really saying, what we're really speaking about is a nature, okay? We're speaking about a nature, um, so, which is encompassed, I guess, to put it broadly, by the soul. So second, okay, what about person? And here's where the distinctions become important. What about person? The person, do I have an eraser? 
Okay. So when we talk about person, the best way I know how to say it is we're talking about the who. The who. All right. So let me check my notes, checking notes. Um, um, the who as opposed to the what. The who as opposed to the what. Um, in our cases, and in most cases, we can't separate the who from the what. But the person is, and this is, I think, really key, the person is the active subject Subject. Ashley, are you taking pictures? Um, the person is the active subject of a nature. Okay? But is not reducible to its nature. Okay? The person is the subject that acts and lives through its nature. Okay? In other words, and this is important, what I'm trying to say is a nature is not a person. Okay? I'm going to write it very large. Nature does not equal person. And that's very important. A nature is not a person, and a person is not a nature. They're not, in, they're not convertible. Okay? It is the person that acts, okay? Not the nature. Right? Yet, yet the person acts in the way that they do because of their nature. Does that make sense? I see some puzzled faces. Question. According to their nature? Yeah. According to their nature. That's fine. So we notice the difference here between the nature of a person and the person. Okay. So let's put this together a little bit. And this is kind of the takeaway. The person, in this case, if we're talking about a human, or the subject with a rational soul, intellect, will, walks, talks, sings, eats, sleeps, thinks, whatever you want to say, according to their nature. So you've heard the term. What's up? So that's why, as fallen people with a fallen nature, Edwards could talk about, uh, in his freedom of the will, we do what we desire. Right. We can't choose our desires, so we make our free will choices according to our desires or according to our fallen nature. Yes, so that's included in, yes, of course. So post-lapsus, of course, we would say, yes, we're acting in accordance with who we are. That's it. I think that's perfect. Yeah, that's so. why we need the new nature to yeah, well, yes. We, we, need our nature, we need our nature changed, that's for sure. So... Um, so, again, we have to distinguish between the nature of a person and the person. And this is important for our Christology. It's so important for our Christology. I can't emphasize this enough. So, again, what about Christ? 
What about Christ? How, how, does, this, how does this kind of jive with Christ, uh, would you say? I've liked that little look recently. I've honed in on that word. Well, he has to have two natures because, one, he has to have a human nature to be able to be our substitute and be our representative. Mm-hmm. And, and then he also has to have a divine nature to, to save us from our sin. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, you know, we would all contend, I think, that he has to have both in full. Like, to. Yeah, not as a mixture, of course. So. Again, if our definitions hold, so going back to that, so if our definitions hold of what we've just said, and if Christ is very God and very man, then that means he has two natures, one divine, one human. This is where I was getting to the distinctions. Without mixture of either, without separation of either, subsisting forever in one person or subject. Okay? Is this starting to become clear? Yes. said that it's the person who acts, right? Yes. Um, but the mind, the intellect, the will, what does that belong to? Does that belong to the person or the, to the nature? The nature. Okay. So if we, and this is kind of an aside, and we'll get, I think we'll get into some errors later. So if we place the will, the intellect, and all that in the person, what we end up having, especially when we talk about Christ, is two persons. And that's a problem. So we don't... Right. So we don't want to be Nestorians, I think. Um, so Christ isn't two persons. He's one person. And it helps, us, um, it helps us to distinguish and not fall into those sorts of errors. So, again, that's why we locate, um, and I think rightly so, um, and by the way, none of this is original to me. I'm not saying anything um, uh, new. So, but anyway, uh, but yes. Yeah, so if we were to again place it into the person, we would be either, if you wanted to say, you would be splitting the persons, or you would have to say that there's just one nature, one person, and you'd be conflating the two. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Christ has body, mm-hmm. but at, at a certain point in time, does that make him less whole before that time at all? I, I don't think that applies, obviously, but the same way. But, uh, yeah. So, I, if I, I want to make sure I understand your question, um, you're saying that Christ taking up. A human, a human soul, or in you know, human body. Um, you're asking if that he was incomplete in that sense. Um, no, no. So uh, the reason for that is because he becomes man by assumption of a human nature. It's it's not an addition. It's not a subtraction. Uh, I think the language that you see, at least throughout church history, is Christ assumes a human nature. Um, go ahead. How? How? Yeah. 
And I, and I heard there's a question last week, and I don't know if it was, I mean, I'm not sure if um, it was answered. Yeah, all kinds of well, <laughs> well, I, I think, without, without but, 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 it, but it's, it's relevant now. So, uh, so I think a question was asked, like, um, you know, well, what about, like, those manifestations or theophanies? Um, don't go there. <laughs> nah, I, I'm going to put my foot down. Every time I get up there, they always ask a question. Every single, it's always about the theophany. Well, uh, the, every time. Based on what was asked, so if man is not whole without a person and a soul, and Christ is fully man and fully God, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have a human soul. No, he has a human soul. Okay, so what are we assuming? Because you know what happens. What do you mean, like when I said assumption? I'm just I'm just using technical language for taking on, taking on humanity. Not it, it. It's just a different way of looking at what I was saying. But so I'm I'm generalizing when I say that. Well, I'm just, well my thought is, if man has a fallen nature, but Christ was perfect, but Christ isn't fully human without the human soul, mm-hmm. but he's fully God with God's nature. No. Can I take this off? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I was. There, there is a thought that when they were asking the, the other question. So before God assumed human form, mm-hmm. the Son, the essence of God existed. Um, so if man's nature exists before his body, is that kind of the like where is the, the whole so, Fully God assumes human form. There's no, I don't see any contradiction there that God condescended mm-hmm. to take our form. So let, let's just take a step back from Christ and just ask this about human nature. When are our souls found or created? Yeah. yeah I think that's the question we need to y- ask ourselves. Yeah. Okay, so. Our human soul, this, this is, you know, there's debate about this throughout church history, but the, the orthodox take is, is that our souls are created at conception with our bodies. Okay. That, that's the standard way of looking at it. And that answers the question. Yeah. So that, that yeah. goes about yeah. that's when the human soul is introduced. That is when God introduces the There's, yeah, that's a whole separate uh, yeah. thing. And, 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 and there, there's, that's creationism, there's traditionism, which is a different view of that, but we would say what, what Hal is saying there. And yeah, so we don't want to get into the weeds with that. Um, the point is, is that Christ has a rational soul. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's also what I was going to say at some point, yeah, I go, I don't know, I don't get this. Um, but I'm just helping us talk about Christ. So I'm sorry. Um, 
So again, so, so that also means, and we were talking about intellects and wills, it also means that Christ has two intellects and two wills and not just one will. Okay, so again, if we locate that in nature, there's not a problem. Um, so here's the key pointer takeaway. Uh, so I'm glad for the questions because that helped Phil's like a lot of time. Um, um, yeah, and, and I don't have to do all the talking. Um, so speaking rightly about the incarnate Son of God is really understanding um, or at least beginning understanding rightly his subsisting, okay? Um, as two natures in one person. His manner of existing as the person of Christ is in two natures, not one, okay? Knowing this, we can say that his operations, and here's where it gets important, especially when you're reading about Jesus and what he's doing. We can say his operations and all his actions proceed from both when we're talking about the person of Christ. Okay, so the whole Christ. With each operation, and here's a qualification, with each operation proper to its respective nature. Okay? Thus, when we talk about Christ's person, we should rightly speak of him according to both. Okay, so I hope that's all coming together and becoming a little more clear. It is how we can say such things like this that the Lord of glory was crucified. So 1 Corinthians 2a, Lord of glory was crucified. It's how we can say that God purchased his church with his own blood, Acts 20, 28. It's how we can say that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ, Ephesians 2, 13, Revelation 1, 5, and so on. The point is, when we speak of the person of Christ, we can say rightly that I know this is scandalous. God was crucified, okay? That God bled because Christ is one person and not two. Yet, yet at the same time, when we make a distinction and acknowledge the character of the two natures or between the two natures, we can also rightly say that the divine essence or the divine nature did not itself bleed, did not die, and more importantly, as we said in our lesson earlier, did not change in any way during and after the the incarnation or his time on earth. So, also, when we consider the natures in the person of Christ, the person of Christ, we can see at times throughout the Gospels when he is speaking according to one or the other. This does not split the person. It's merely the acknowledgement of two natures, two intellects and two wills. It's a profound mystery. I will grant that, okay? Um, That's where I kind of stop talking. Um, What I will end with here is what our confession says, what our confession says in chapter 8, paragraph 2. And I think this is a good thing to end on. The Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholdeth and governeth all things he hath made. So you see the, you see the reflection of the other chapters of our confession here, by the way? Did, when the fullness of time was come, take unto him man's nature, with all essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin. Okay, 
This is where the virgin birth becomes important. Okay? Um, yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowing her. And so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the Scriptures, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man, Hal Chalcedonian. Yes. Correct. Yes. And, and, and of course, with the second Adam language, we, we're talking about, um, you know, our redemption as well. So, but, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So, any other questions? Is it becoming clearer at all? Do I need to change anything that would be helpful? Like not drawing on the board? Okay, you like, see, uh, see, see, that's, that's astounding to me because that's, I don't know what that is. <laughs> but I, I, a big nature, not a person, helped as you were going on. Like, awesome. I, I love the feedback. Lacking, What's that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I, I can't apologize for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Any other questions before we go? Right. The questions about Christ um, and his human soul understood and is the idea of him being the second Adam in the garden before the fall, is that, you know, that imagery there, is that clear with everyone? If there's any questions, please do ask now. Yeah, it, well, I mean, it's very clear in the sense that Adam was, it was a fallen in his creation and, and then Christ in his nature mm-hmm. was not and his human nature was not fallen as we are fallen as children of Adam. Of course, yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I will try to next week get a little, get a little further into, so we talked about the hypostatic union a little bit today, but I want also, just to, this is a heads up, that it's important to understand that Christ does not, the best way I know how to say it, exist in the same way that we do as well. That becomes very important as to his um, humanity as well. I don't know how much it will add to the discussion, but I think it might be helpful when we think about some of these, these questions. Um, you know, so I'll leave, I'll leave that there. Just that, that's on the table. Um, yeah. There's some words out there, I think. And hypostasis, in hypostasis. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to give you a taste. Anyway, okay. Who wants to pray for us? Or I will pick some. Go ahead, John. Father, I thank you for this day of worship, rest, and fellowship that you've given us, um, that you've allowed us to begin here with um, just contemplating your, your glory, your, who you are, what you are, uh, 
to the extent that our feet and minds are able to. And I pray that, that, that this will motivate us to um, go to worship you in this next hour uh, passionately, um, with our hearts fully focused, um, understanding how much greater and higher you are than us. I pray that uh, it would cause us to see our uh, low and sinful state, to be repentant of all of our many sins, and to throw ourselves before you as a loving Father who has given us great salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that it would also give us confidence to go before you through him as our mediator who is uh, ready to hear us and to receive us and to apply forgiveness to us. I pray that you would bless us and draw us all together in this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.